So when I was in Da Nang, which is a coastal city in central Vietnam, I went to another speakeasy called Teba, and they've got a really good pho cocktail, which all of you have to try. It tastes like beef broth in the best way. There's cinnamon, there's five spice, there's chili, there's calamansi. It's surprising. Like I expected for it to be a bit weird, but I tasted it. I was like, oh, this works. That's Natasha Lim, consumer researcher and contributor to our city guides talking cocktail flavours in central Vietnam. Welcome to the Create Tomorrow podcast. I'm your host, Bethan Ryder, editorial director at Trend Forecasting and consumer insight company WGSN. In today's episode, we're joined by some of our City by City team as we explore the must-visit destinations for newness in retail, culture and hospitality in 2023 as featured in our Coastal Guide. Also joining us is my dog, Winona Ryder, who makes an unplanned cameo at an opportune moment. So join us on this coastal trip that takes us from Bali to Margate, Rio to Dubai and more. Joining me in this episode today are Joe McGinn, our Head of Destinations Guide Platform, City by City, and two of our researchers who contribute to these guides. So hi, Joe. Hi, how are you? Good, good. And uh, we also have Raisa Bray. Hey, Raisa. Hi. And also over in Singapore, where it's the evening, we have Natasha Lim. Hi, Natasha. Hello. Right. I think we'll kick off with you first, Joe. So you've been doing these coastal guides for a while. Tell me what the criteria is for inclusion of the destinations in these guides. I love these reports, actually, because they're just so uplifting to edit and to plan. And the criteria really is being an inspirational city in terms of resort inspiration. So our clients are looking for a mix of retail, food and drink and culture when they're going to a city. So we try and make sure the places that we include have an element of each of those themes. So they're really looking at beachwear, swimwear but also coastal inspired interiors. And then, like I said, um, some really exciting restaurants and places that might inspire for interiors as well. So beachside hotels and that kind of thing. So it's a real mix. Some of them are the more established places like Saint-Tropez or the Hamptons. And then some of them might be ones less on people's radar. We've got Sanya, which is on, on an island in China and Chebu in the Philippines as well, a coastal city there. So it's a good mix of, of places. So Natasha, where did your research for the WGSN Coastal Guide take you? So uh, I researched Southeast Asia for WGSN, so I want to like spotlight some Southeast Asian coastal cities. So tropical patterns, I definitely would look at Bali and Cebu. So there's a brand in Cebu called Tropical Futures Institute, and it's kind of a multidisciplinary studio that explores tropical futures, aesthetics and practices. And really beyond fashion, they also work in the music space or the Web3 space. And they have lots of dates on their mood boards online, playing with lots of these tropical inspirations. So that's definitely something to check out. In Bali as well, I want to spotlight Planet View. It's this brand that involves the gradual creation of these like small upcycled collections. They use fabric, sequins, beads and batik stamps and they play a lot with beaded embroidery, tropical references and these kind of dark editorial shoots that lean away from the more sunny tropical aesthetic we're used to and into this more provocative lush aesthetic that's really coming up more recently. So those are big places to look at when you want to think about textile or tropical inspirations. But I also really want to spotlight Da Nang and Hoi An, which didn't make it into the guide this time. But it is 
in Southeast Asia quite a hotspot for textile and tailoring scenes. So you've got lots of people from even Singapore who will fly down specifically to get tailoring done in those areas. And that's also somewhere I think brands can check out to be inspired. And look for like collaborations and also presumably buyers if they're looking to like buy beautiful fabrics as well. Yes, definitely. Raisa, what about you? What have you discovered? Yeah, I'd like to echo some of the aesthetics that Natasha was mentioning, but I'm highlighting Tulum, where craftsmanship and fair trade and as well as like ethical practices are put to the forefront when it comes to brands that are working there. And most of the brands that we have highlighted, like La Troupe, La Tiendita and World by Hand, use Mexican craftspeople when working for home decor and fashion. So when you're looking for embroidery and open work, I'd say look at these brands and in the guide for inspiration for fashion and interiors. Could you describe a little bit of, because obviously we're a podcast, so if could you describe a little bit of these sort of fabrics that you're talking about or some of the brands and a little bit of the techniques perhaps so people can get a visual picture? Yes, absolutely. So these brands focus on hand dyeing and each step of the process. And these brands highlight from the tag that gets put on at the end, all the way to the beginning of the process of sourcing these materials. They Each step has thought behind it with sustainability practices and ethical practices put top of mind. So when it comes to sourcing, whether it's cotton or linens, those are woven hand dyed so it's less saturated it's more organic colors and the hand embroideries the open work whether it's crocheting or all different type of needlework um, reflects that of the mexican like heritage and obviously the embellishments are could be like glass beads or mirrors and these are reflected there and it's in homeware from, so from bedspreads to cushions all the way to like dresses Okay, so from Bali to one of my favourite places, which is a bit closer to home for anyone in London, we've also got Margate in the guide, which is great for retro and vintage shops. But Raisa, tell us more about Margate. Margate's just a train ride away, just over an hour from London. So anybody wants to explore the Kent coast, I highly recommend. When strolling through the old town of Margate, which is very charming, um, stumbled upon Arven, which is an interiors store, which I'd like to highlight, which is an ethical homeware and jewelry um, brand founded by two um, co-founders who just loved adventuring around the world. And they actually work closely with 30 independent artisans from Kenya and across the African um, continent, including Ghana, as well as India. So you can see the baskets, the beautiful rugs that they have, the tapestries, as well as like smaller ornaments. And they've also recently started a small pets line where because they have dogs and they just thought it would be great to include that and expand their brand, which is really great. So that I would highlight for homeware and interiors. And Les Animaux is a fashion brand that was started in Margate, which is really great when you go to the store because it's just beautifully lit and it's gender neutral and everything is 70% of their clothing is made in the studio, which you can just have a peek um, when you're in the store, which is really great. And if you'd like to have bespoke something bespoke made, they offer that services as well. And then just before the old town, you can go to Albion stores, which is a lifestyle fashion retailer which stocks a host of designers but they like to focus on British designers as well as up and coming local ones from Margate or the Kent Coast. There you can find from swimwear to homeware, from candles to jewellery as well as menswear. 
Joe, over the years, you must have been tracking these changes in many of the UK's seaside towns as people have migrated from cities to the coast, places like Margate and Hastings. It's a real evolution of the Kent coast, right? And they're also really good for thrifting. Definitely. We've been tracking that sort of shift of those maybe, you know, they were once a little bit downtrodden resorts, the coastal resorts in the UK and now been adopted by creatives and have really become these destinations for culture. But also, like you said, there's there's fantastic um, vintage, vintage homewares, antiques all along the Kent coast. So all the way, you know, to Deal, Rye. So there's a real mix there for people from fashion to homewares, also culture as well. So we've definitely been looking at that. Raisi, you've touched upon pet lines and there's been such a global surge of people buying pets during lockdown, particularly dogs. So are you seeing this reflected in retail and hospitality policies and places? Is there more inclusivity for dogs? I'd say yes, it's just because when it comes to the generation I'm from, I feel as though being pet parents is a big thing and some people are opting out of like having children or they're having pets for a longer time before having children and I can see it on the streets of London or even from my hometown Cape Town having in, being inclusive to people with pets especially dogs it's definitely there and brands offering an extension and a diffusion line for pets it's definitely there because it's a status symbol it is an extension of the owner of like the aesthetic there's a lot of resort dog accessories going on as well you know like sun lounges for dogs umbrellas for dogs so I think that area as well is is definitely a growing area yes I've definitely seen those (laughs) the pet boom was pretty big like pet prices went up to like three four times pre-pandemic prices and people were like really invested in that and I would say like a lot more like there's my pet which I'll just (laughs) I'll just mute myself because there's my pet barking no problem lots of like pet hospitality places popped up post-pandemic in Singapore but I'll say in APEC it's more of it leans more East Asia and Singapore's population is also a certain racial profile. But ultimately, Southeast Asia is really embedded in the Malay archipelago. So it's a bit more complicated in terms of like the pet boom and the kinds of demographics of people who caught on to that trend and whether the industry is more flexible, adaptable to that as well. It's slightly different because of different cultural or religious currents that are in the region. So we see it definitely more East Asia in populations with slightly more East Asian demographics. Yeah, that's fascinating. So one of my favourite things when you go travelling, right, is to browse the local market. I know, for example, Saint-Tropez got some great ones. You mentioned Saint-Tropez, but which kind of outstanding markets did you spy doing this research? I'll come to you first, Jo. Goa is a, a really great destination for crafts and markets. So I would definitely highlight Goa as, as a place to explore flea markets. There's one called Anjuna Flea Market, which has a, a real treasure trove of handicrafts, but also hippie fashion to explore, which is obviously what you think of when you when you think of Goa. So definitely that one. And also in Goa, there's A lot of retail that kind of almost feels like that flea market experience, but in retail environments. So Rangila is a lifestyle store that has a sort of indoor outdoor vibe. You can explore it like an Aladdin's cave. It's got homewares, jewellery, fashion and lots of quirky collectibles as well. So I definitely recommend that if you're looking for something that's got the experience of a flea market, but in a retail setting. 
And let's come to you, Natasha. With, were there any sort of outstanding places? I think somewhere maybe I want to head to. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, in Southeast Asia, like markets are quite embedded into the culture of these cities, like across the region. If you're going to Bali, I think handicrafts markets would be like a good place to go. Uh, I would recommend firstly Ubud Art Market. And so you can buy lots of kind of traditional woven skirts. You can get wood carvings, arlems, brass statues, just a whole range of like handicrafts. But if you only have one market you can go to, for instance, I really would recommend Kumbasari Art Market because it's kind of a more one-stop shop. So it's based in Denpasar in Bali. It's the kind of market that kind of evolves from morning to night. So if you want to have the full experience in the morning, it's kind of a wet market. You can get fruits, you can get produce. In the afternoon, you kind of see more bustling scene where you can get sarongs and keychains. It's more the kind of flea markets that I think tourists might be used to. And at night, it evolves into kind of a food stall, like a night food market. And so that would be a good place to go to if you kind of want the full breadth of a market experience in Southeast Asia. Where would you single out for sort of being great for swimwear? Um, so I come to you, Raisa. I'd like to single out Dubai. Firstly, it's quite a connected city with the airlines traveling from all different cities, comes to a central point of meeting within Dubai. And I'd like to single out that Comtour 102, which is a ready-to-wear beach brand that has accessories as well. And it's conveniently located near one of the most popular beaches in Dubai called Jumeirah. And whether you're looking for resort wear or and modest alternatives, this brand does cater to these customers with caftans or cover-ups with statement prints that are very aligned with the summer look, especially for the resort. I would say it's a good destination to add to your shopping itinerary just because it, it will always be summer. <laughs> Eternal summer. <laughs> Eternal summer, of course. Joe, you, men- you mentioned before Saint-Tropez. I imagine that's the place. Uh, I mean, that's just it's just style capital, right? Definitely. Um, Saint-Tropez ha- always has a lot to offer in terms of high-end swimwear and beachwear. So, you know, you've got a lot of the big brands go and do sort of summer pop-ups on the beach there. But they also have smaller boutiques and multi-brands. So it offers that really good range of swimwear in, in Saint-Tropez. And it's, a- it's a- always been a big one for clients to visit. And then I'd say also Rio as a really great place for swimwear inspiration. So, you know, you've not just got the beach catwalk of Ipanema where you can go and just see what people are wearing, see what's happening there in terms of beachwear trends. But you've also got some really fantastic uh, local brands that are doing exciting things with swimwear. So there's a brand called Sri, which is just kind of a bit more of a minimalist take than you'd expect on beachwear and and swimwear because obviously you know you think of Rio and you think of the colorful farm Rio type products which are are fantastic but then I think there's a lot of brands coming up that are doing something a little bit more minimalist and focused on comfort as well. In Rio there's there's some younger brands one is called Cosmo Rio which is a brand that goes against that whole barely there colorful aesthetic and focuses a bit more on comfort and movement and has quite quite a minimal feel to it. And then a brand called EMI or ME, which creates swimwear using biodegradable fabrics and hand paints the pieces. 
So it's a really beautiful way of looking at swimwear and from a more sustainable angle. But also they keep the prices really affordable as well. And then you have those bigger names like Farm Rio, which have really established themselves here in, in Europe as well. Yeah, I love Farm Rio. In terms of like trends, what are people actually wearing on the beaches of Rio? Because to my mind, I just remember the dental floss bikini, right? Is that still what people are wearing? Is it still like there's not much material in the swimwear? I think that's still very much the look and it's very popular and people just are so confident with it. I can remember going and just seeing people just doing photo shoots as, you know, as groups of friends taking pictures, enjoying, enjoying the beach, enjoying being there. So yeah, there is definitely that, that look. But like I said, there is, there is a different aesthetic moving through as well, which does focus a bit more on, on comfort and maybe not so much of that vibrant print, but a little bit more minimal as well. You're listening to the WGSN Create Tomorrow podcast. And in this episode, we're talking about coastal destinations that offer plenty of newness in retail, culture and hospitality. I'm Bethan Ryder, Director of Editorial at WGSN, and my guests today are Joe McGinn, Head of City by City, our City Guide platform, and two of our researchers who contribute to these guides, Ray Sabray and based in Singapore, Natasha Lim. So obviously people travel to try really amazing food and drink they haven't tried before. We track this on our food and drink platform, things like soju, which are kind of like one of the new up and coming drinks. Where would you say, this is one of my favourite topics, the most lively bar scene is from all of the research you've done? I'm going to come to you first, Natasha. Oh, this is exciting. This is a topic I love as well. <laughs> so I think Southeast Asia is a super great place for the bar scene just because the flavor profiles we have here, it's not as saturated internationally. So if you go to Bali, definitely I would recommend the Shady Trifecta. So it's a portfolio of three bars called the Shady Pig, the Shady Flamingo and the Shady Fox. And they're like a mix of speakeasy bars. They're like kind of hidden locations. You need a little passcode to enter, but they've got a really good mix of classic and inventive cocktails made with like really good like aged alcohol. So in Bali, that's definitely the place to go. I didn't feature Vietnam, but I'm just going to talk a little bit about it as well. So when I was in Da Nang, which is a coastal city in central Vietnam, I went to another speakeasy called Teba, and they've got a really good pho cocktail, which all of you have to try. It tastes like beef broth in the best way. There's cinnamon, there's five spice, there's chili, there's calamansi. And so there are these like really interesting flavor profiles that I think anybody would really enjoy checking out. It's surprising. Like I expected for it to be a bit weird, but I tasted it. I was like, oh, this works. Uh, so I think that's interesting. And I'll shout out one last region, which is Singapore, where I'm from. Uh, we've got a huge bar scene here. That's lots of regional collaborations all the time. If you come, there's always guest bartender from other parts of Southeast Asia. And if you go to this bar called Native or Analog Initiative, there's a Bois Calois cocktail and it's inspired by a Peranakan dish made of tamarind gravy. Southeast Asia is probably the place to go to if you want to explore new flavors or exciting new flavor profiles that are entering the drinks industry. And, and is it very much the trend, the speakeasy thing is still, I mean, obviously that's been going since the 20s, 100 years. It still seems to capture people's imagination because they just don't know what, where they're going. It's hidden. It's intriguing. So that's still very much a trend. Yes, definitely. It's uh, the exclusivity of it, I think, will never really die out. I just wanted to add, when I went, visited Margate, there was a spotlight on wines, natural wines, as well as 
um, regular wines that were created in England, which is something, I guess, the flavor profile is all quite new. So it's not the cocktails that they're focusing on. There are many um, wine bars, such as um, Little Swift, um, which is next to some of the popular secondhand stores. And it's on the beachfront. So there are lots of um, those kind of flavors. And there's a big interest in local wine. Yeah, Margate's fab I can't well I went last summer and I just found it there's some really excellent food and drink places as you say I can't wait to go back and explore what's open since yeah I'd say it's graduating from like a beer centric space to wine just coming from Cape Town myself and it's just like a wine lens essentially and I can see the similar trends in that and how there's a big interest in natural and orange wines as well Ah, orange wines. I have a feeling we forecast those like about six years ago or yes, something. Yes, exactly. It's it's all happening. So one of my favourite things for travelling, and I'm sure it's the same with everyone else, is discovering beautiful new hotels and restaurants. You know, that real escapism that you get from hospitality, which just takes you somewhere else and you can sort of imagine you live this lovely life the whole time. What have been sort of the most exciting hotels that you've seen happening or emerging? Joe. I'd highlight Habitas Hotels as a hotel group, but also the hotel in Tulum that they, they have, which is really almost like, a, they call it a sustainable sanctuary. And it really does feel like that. It's sort of nestled within the jungle on the beach next to the Caribbean Sea. So it gives you that kind of real barefoot luxury experience. Lots of brushed concrete and wood and bamboo um, set amongst the palm trees on the beachfront. But I also like the way that they really try to immerse guests in, in the local culture as well. And they do that, I think, really authentically. So they do try and sort of connect local customs with visitors, things like Mayan ritual ceremonies, Mayan cooking, music, and they have these whole weeks that you can take part in where it was, is really all about learning about local the local culture. So I think that's a nice side to it, that it's not just about sitting by the pool. That there's more to it as well. So if you were a digital nomad this summer, because we know that digital nomadism is really on the rise. So if you're a digital nomad this summer, which location is the best set up for this around the world? I think, Joe, shall I come to you about that? I think Spain is a great destination because there they now have an actual digital nomad visa. So it's actually a lot easier if you're not in the EU to go and live there for and, and work there for up to a year, I think. So you can get this, this special visa that allows you to do that much more easily. So I think that obviously logistically, that's a great place um, to work. We've highlighted in the guide Palma de Mallorca, which is a really beautiful city there on the coast. And it's got that fantastic mix of the beach, you know, you can on, on your days off or on your lunch hour, you can go and have a, a swim. But then you've also got a fantastic culture scene. There's a lot of great retailers there. So it's a really lively city to live in as well. So I definitely highlight Palmer. And the other the other place I'd say that most people kind of know of as as an escape for digital nomads is Goa. I think that's a really fantastic place in terms of all year round. Sunshine, festivals, nightlife, water sports, culture. And it's become more and more popular, I think, with with city quitters, you know, people who are really trying to change their lifestyles. So I definitely say Goa is one that's set up now for remote working. 
Let's talk about that kind of escape because a lot of people travel to escape, right, to detox and to sort of find calm mindfulness and leave behind the daily grind. I'm expecting you'll say Bali is a good place for that, Natasha. I know my brother says the centre of the island, you can really go where there's all the waterfalls and it's just unbelievably beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, apart from the nature that you get to experience in Bali, there's also like a huge boom in wellness retreats popping up everywhere. So one place I really want to highlight is Nirvana Life. It's kind of a fitness and wellness studio. They've just refurbished this year or end of last year, I think. So you've got lots of flexi passes for digital nomads and tourists. You've got pools and spas in the compound. It has its own kitchen and the views are really lovely. Like when I was there, I did like a yoga class in front of the rice fields and it was like the most beautiful yoga class I've ever been to. There's something interesting called the Bali Silent Retreat. You can go for five days. You can't use your phone you kind of live in a monastery setting and you really just go there to meditate and kind of find your ground so it's on Mount Batukaru it's also surrounded by rice fields and jungles it's restorative eco-sanctuary that's how it's marketed and so that's really somewhere you can visit along with surrounding islands like Gili Islands which is really just a little boat ride away can you find this sort of escape in urban areas do we think can I come to you Raisa Yes, I'd like to just spotlight Haeckel's House in Margate. For those who are not too familiar with Haeckel's, it's a brand that was started on the Kent coast that uses the seaweed from the ocean that's incorporated into the skincare and body care products. So Haeckel's House, it's quite, it's beautiful because once you enter, it's got a retail space at the bottom where you see um, the entire process of how they collect the seaweed and how it's incorporated into they also use lab grown ingredients and then on top there's a japanese inspired spa that has a signature treatment of a seaweed bath it overlooks the ocean where they harvest the ingredients so that's a really nice full circle moment that you can have to wrap up which of these destinations in the current guide are you keen to head back to or perhaps you suggest people should head to if they want a top tip I'm going to come round Natasha you first well firstly I are listening about like Goa India I really want to visit I haven't been to India before and I've really been wanting to visit since like the pandemic I have a lot of friends who live there as well so maybe I'll organize a trip there at some point this year go with my friends kind of relax from the city for a little bit and I definitely would recommend people to go to Bali Great top tip. Well, I'm glad I'm about to book my flight. What about you, Raisa? I'd love to visit Tulum or Rio for the first time. I've never been. And just the way it's described, just from food to fashion, it seems like a place I'd love and a place I'd return to. I've visited Dubai before and I think it's a different take. The city, it's extremely modern. There are design districts for those who want to be inspired by art, architecture, um, interior design, as well as the beach. And Joe, what about you? I'd definitely say Rio is the place that I want to go back to. It's just such a fantastic, vibrant city and it has everything, everything there. Thank you. And then you can play Duran Duran on the way, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for anyone that didn't <laughs> really? get that reference. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you to my guests, Joe McGinn, Head of City by City, and researchers Ray Sabray and Natasha Lim for taking the time to speak to me today. And of course, Winona Ryder, my dog that made a little brief cameo. If you're a WGSN subscriber, you'll find more guides on our City by City platform, including the Coastal Guide and also an Autumn Culture Guide. 
And if you want to find out how to subscribe, head over to wgsn.com to discover how you can get access to our service. We're constantly publishing new content focusing on how we can design a brighter, better future for our industries. And these include food and drink, interiors, beauty, fashion, and consumer tech. You can subscribe on all major podcast platforms. And if you like what you've heard, why not leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts? We'll be back in two weeks for our next episode. And you can catch the CEO of WGSN, Carlo Bazashi, next week on our other podcast, Lives of Tomorrow where we'll be looking at the future of news. <laughs>